Welcome to The Lead. In this episode, we're delving into a Suncoast story that had gone nearly dormant, the curious case of Gabby Petito and Brian Laundrie. New details have recently emerged in the three-month-old case. We'll review what has happened, what's new, and what's next. ABC 7's Daniela Hurtado joins us for a conversation. It's all coming up. This is The Lead. Welcome. I'm Jim DeLaw. For our first episode, The Lead, this is a new podcast. We'll be taking a deeper look at some of the more interesting stories in the news cycle. And this case is pretty much a no-brainer. The Gabby Petito and Brian Laundrie story has certainly dominated local news since September and has gotten worldwide attention. With me is Daniela Hurtado. Thanks for joining us, Danny. Thank you for having me, Jim. Appreciate it. Um, Let's do a quick recap because until very recently we've covered you've covered some facet of this yeah. story every day yeah i i, I think we need a recap don't we all it's like the timeline kept changing and, and i'm sure you're going to cover that right now but i think we all need a little bit of a recap okay so gabby petito was a 22 year old blogger and budding instagram star she's on a cross-country camping trip with her fiance they're documenting the trip on social media And somewhere west of the Rockies, things start to go bad. They have a fight in Moab, Utah, that's documented by local police. Uh, We've seen the body cam footage numerous times. Uh, Then on September 1st, Brian shows up, Brian Laundrie, the fiancé, shows up in Gabby's van alone at his parents' home in Northport. Now, by the 11th, her parents report her as missing, and Brian is the lone person of interest in the case but he's also been charged but not in her disappearance exactly exactly so he was actually charged several days after her disappearance for bank fraud a federal charge a federal indictment for a debit card that he is accused of using with a pin number a debit pin number he's accused of using but i'm going to take a step back because you mentioned she was reported missing on september 11th but now we know a little bit more of a timeline of where exactly police believe Brian Laundry was and his parents believe he was. You know, during that same time, we now know that his parents believed um, Brian Laundry left to a local reserve here in Sarasota County, the Mayakahatchee Creek Environmental Park, on September 13th, so just two days after she was reported missing. Right. So Brian is in Northport. Gabby is reported missing. They hire a lawyer, and the Laundry family just refuses to cooperate completely, just totally will not talk to police. Yeah, and I mean, throughout our conversations with multiple attorneys throughout the last several months now, we've asked those questions. Why do you think that the parents aren't talking? And at the very beginning, of course, we asked the questions of why do you think Brian Laundry's not talking? And a lot of the attorneys we've talked to, both prosecutors and criminal attorneys, all kind of agreed that they're being represented well and they're following their attorney's orders. And to this day, they haven't talked publicly. It's always been directed towards their attorney, which is his name is Stephen Bertolino. He's out of New York. I asked him how long they've known each other towards the beginning of um, when he started representing them, and he said 20 years. So it seems like they've been friends for a long time, and they called him, and he stepped in and has been representing them throughout this entire situation the last three months right so at some point now brian disappears and depending on who you're listening to he's dead 
in Carlton Reserve. He's alive in Carlton Reserve. He's in Canada. He's in Mexico. Dog, the bounty hunter arrives to <laughs> try and look for him. Um, and then the Gabby's body is found in Wyoming. Yeah. So exactly. And that's what I'm saying. It's the timelines have all just like <laughs> interchangeably gone in, into each other. And now, of course, we know a little bit more of where police believed Brian was. And as we know now, and for people who are probably hearing the story for the first time, Law enforcement, the FBI and law enforcement agencies regionally were all looking for Brian Laundrie at the Mayakahatchee Creek Environmental Park and subsequently at Carlton Reserve. They're very near each other. Again, this is all in Sarasota County, Florida, and they were looking for him for several weeks and they were highly criticized because, like you mentioned, a lot of people on social media said they're, he's in Canada. He's at um, the Appalachian Trail. He's in Mexico. There were so many people from all over the world, really. I was going to say the country, but really it was all over the world, really inter, like getting into the investigation and saying, we've seen him. This is a sighting. And the FBI and law enforcement were looking into it all over the nation trying to follow those trails and see, okay, whether or not this is true. But they kept going back to Carlton Reserve. Lo and behold, several weeks later, we're now in this situation. Right. And in the meantime, uh, Gabby's autopsy results come back, and the coroner uh, determines that she was strangled. Mm -hmm. So there is a homicide. Brian is still the only person of interest in the case. Brian... Uh, 30, I think 37 days after he was reported missing, police find skeletal remains right about where they've been looking. The, the, the area had been underwater due to recent rains. They find skeletal remains, and they, through dental records and uh, subsequently through DNA analysis and everything else, they've determined that uh, this is Brian Laundrie, and he died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound there's been a lot of there was a lot of confusion and misinformation flying around uh just before brian laundry disappeared and throughout the month-long search for his uh body northport police thought they knew where he was and turns out they didn't you had a pretty candid conversation with folks there right and we and uh let's take a look at listen to a bit of that conversation you had in the sky. Can you see, do you see the teams on the road? Search crews on the ground, all looking for Brian Laundrie. Just two days after, Northport Chief Todd Garrison told a room full of reporters he knew the location of the 23-year-old. All I'm going to say is I know where Brian's at. It appeared that we thought Brian had gone back into the home on that Wednesday, uh, so we thought he was there. Do you know where Brian Laundrie is right now? Yes. A day later, Friday, we got a call uh, from the FBI saying the family uh, now wanted to report him missing. And I can tell you that, you know, the internal reaction was, is, are they telling the truth? At first, the laundry said they last saw Brian September 14th. They say he went on a hike here to the Mayakahatchee Creek Environmental Park. Then... A few weeks later, they changed their story, 
saying it was actually on the 13th. When Brian left his wallet and cell phone at home, no one had seen him since. Brian's parents told the FBI they were worried. We asked their attorney why it took multiple days to report him missing. To this day, they aren't talking. Josh Taylor is the spokesperson for the city of Northport. It didn't make sense that if you're saying somebody was missing, that you would go take their vehicle and bring it back to your home. This led to questions about Brian's car. He drove a Mustang, the same Mustang police say reappeared at his parents' home on Wednesday, September 15th. Two days after, he disappeared, creating confusion for investigators. Trying to keep an eye on Brian, but that was not the primary focus. The focus was on where Gabby was. We uncovered police records showing they cited Brian's Mustang as abandoned. That happened on the 14th here at the reserve. At the time, detectives believed when the Mustang arrived back on Wabasso early on the 15th. It appeared that we thought Brian had gone back into the home on that Wednesday. It wasn't Brian, rather his mom, Roberta Laundry. Police say she drove the car from the park to the home and no one thought twice. Brian, at that point in time, was not reported a missing person. Our surveillance, uh, you know, human errors, always going to be a factor. You know, it was very hectic around the house. By Wednesday, there was reporters around, a lot of movement. At the time, passing through the laundry's neighborhood was near impossible. Reporters and news crews from across the country lined up outside the home that day, and it continued days on end. The FBI was met with this when they arrived Friday to make Brian's missing persons report. I mean, I don't know that anybody's ever seen that. Social media is now taking up the case. Right now, this, an online petition pushing the state to investigate the department. We didn't do everything perfect. Um, I think at the end of the day, though, we did everything ethically. We did everything within the law. Uh, and, you know, morally, I'll, I'll sleep just fine knowing what we've done in this case. And uh, furthermore, I don't believe that we're, you know, responsible for anyone's death. Um, you know, are we potentially responsible for some public confusion on what was going on? Okay. I mean, well, I think we're, uh, I think we'll live with that um, and, and move on. But it, it begs the, the larger question, how did this case get all of the attention that it did? Like Gabby was an Instagram personality. How much did that fuel the furor on social media, do you think? Well, I, I know a lot of people have their opinions about this. And, I mean, we've heard it very vividly the last several months through social media and just all the comments that we've seen. But... You know, talking to experts like former FBI agents who have worked cases like this all over the country, really, um, the perspective is this girl, 22-year-old Gabby Petito, woman rather, she had she had just started her YouTube. She had several thousand people already following her on Instagram. So really, when we've talked to these experts, they say she already had a following. She already had people that loved her and that's in part why her story grew so much. Even social media experts we've talked to, they say 
the reason it grew so much was because of that. It became interesting to the national media, and that story caught fire on social media. So it was a big story on social media. The national media kind of caught up with it, and and the rest is history, really. Right. right. She was also young and white, and you did some reporting about something called white woman syndrome. Tell us about that. Yeah, so the missing white woman syndrome is a term that was coined actually by a journalist. And it's something we've heard a lot about the last several weeks. And it's, it, you know, talking again, I cite my sources because really those are the people and the studies, really the people that have helped us tell this story the best we can to our community. So former FBI agent and social media experts, we talked about the missing white woman syndrome and they tell us that, you know, oftentimes national media covers stories of young white college aged students and it's there's no real big reasoning for it studies we've seen they're still trying to figure out why exactly it happens when in actuality so many people go missing right. every year right and you did some reporting on this uh, just recently and let's take a listen to some of that a demand for answers. Outlets from across the country asking what happened. What brought all these eyes and the public's interest to that case? Brianna Fox is a former FBI agent. She's now a criminology professor at the University of South Florida. She was a beautiful young white girl, so she really fit the profile of the missing white woman syndrome. But on top of that, she had a very substantial Instagram following, so she was already beloved by the social media community. She says those specific reasons brought Gabby's case to the forefront. How can we sort of bottle that up and use that knowledge for other cases that don't necessarily get the same amount of coverage and interest? But these days, experts say what gets attention and what doesn't is different than in the past. University of Louisiana researchers recently published this. It's a 2020 study on missing people. It finds missing white victims in general receive more media coverage than racial minorities. Journalists coined it the missing white woman syndrome. It was meant to describe this phenomenon where younger white women, typically the college age range, when they go missing, there's this national attention that typically comes to it. This case brought to light this missing white woman syndrome, and a lot more people were there to listen. Say her name! Factor in racial injustice protests like this here on the Sun Coast and across the country. They all left a lasting impact. Professor Andrew Selipak teaches media ethics at the University of Florida. And the same attention is not given in missing person cases when it comes to people of color. The same research from the University of Louisiana notes missing white woman syndrome is a reflection of long-standing racially biased perceptions of victims. And while that's maybe good for those cases, it really shines a light on who we're not paying attention to, who we're not giving the same level of attention to. I love the bit. Fox believes the Petito Laundry case we are is opening there. the eyes of the nation with how we, the media and public, play roles in spotlighting more missing persons cases. Should be paying equal attention to all of these groups, but unfortunately we just don't. I think there need, really needs to be kind of this soul searching on the part of the national media when it comes to why they give some individuals more attention than others. A conversation 
only beginning as the search for answers continues. To put it into perspective, the FBI's latest statistics on missing people shows that just last year, 59% of all missing people across the country were white. In Sarasota, Daniela Hurtado, ABC7, your local station. All right. Uh, and all this leads me to wonder, Gabby Petito is not the only missing person on the Sun Coast. What do we know about other cases and why they haven't gotten the attention that Gabby did? You're, you're absolutely right. There are more than a dozen people missing all over the Sun Coast. And um, while we don't have a lot of them, there are, they're, they're all important. No matter ethnicity, age, color of your skin, your background. Um, you know, we do have a lot of cases here in our area. And when it comes to longstanding cases, you know, some agencies have maybe one, right? But other agencies have maybe more than two dozen. And oftentimes law enforcement tell us, or they do tell us that it, it really, they're trying to find and allow these leads not to run dry. So it's really up to us in our position as the media, but also up to people at home that may be listening to this to speak up if they know something. So there are several longstanding cases on the Sun Coast, but I wouldn't say there's a lot of them. Um, but, I mean, doesn't mean that they don't matter. Right. Um, which leads to the last question. What's next? Uh, with victim and potential suspect dead, is, is the story over? Is the case closed? You know, that's the big question right now. So you mentioned Brian Laundrie was found um, dead. Um, he was ID through dental records. But lo and behold, the uh, medical examiner here locally, Sarasota County, ended up releasing the autopsy. And it said that he had shot himself in the head. We don't know where that gun is. That's part of the big question. Also, when they found him, he had a book bag next to his remains, and there was also a notebook. We don't know to this day what was in that notebook. Um, when it comes to the potential for charges, Jim, you know, right now everybody's kind of telling us there could be something coming. You and I have discussed the Petito statement that came out when Brian Laundrie was ID'd. I don't know if you want to mention that a bit. Go ahead. So um, when the statement came out that Brian Laundrie had died by suicide, the Petito-Schmidt family put out a statement. And in part, it was a statement, but it wasn't really a statement. They said they couldn't say much because they were asked by the U.S. Attorney's Office to keep quiet. And at the bottom of that statement, it said something interesting that kind of sparked a light in me. I was like, oh, what's going on here? They said that they couldn't speak potentially because charges maybe they're trying to determine if charges could be coming to other people. That brings up the question of who could be charged. So we, we've talked to experts and, you know, some are saying maybe the parents will be charged. And I asked, but with what, you know, with what and how can you prove that without or beyond reasonable doubt? And, um, you know, a attorney, a criminal attorney here locally, she told me point blank. She's like, honestly, it could be tampering with evidence or it could be a s accessory after the fact. But again, right now, it's important to remember that Brian Laundrie was never named a suspect, just a person of interest. Mm. Okay. Well, I lied. One last question. Uh, this is what we call a pack journalism event. You and a hundred other journalists and bloggers all in one place all trying to find the story of the day, 
all of you trying to find some unique angle that others haven't seen that day and doing it day after day for like two months. I don't think people realize how hard that is. What was that like for you? Um, where do I begin? Just briefly, it, it was a lot, you know, because as a journalist, we're all very empathetic and this story starts taking a toll on you because you're like, okay, what's going on? And it starts affecting your community. And it's interesting because people in our community started coming up to me and they were like, thank you so much for what you're doing. We see what you're doing. We appreciate what you're doing. And it was really those days that I was like, okay, we can keep going because it was 14, 15 hour days outside of a reserve with no water and it, it, you know, it really takes a toll on you and really put things in per, into perspective of what law enforcement was going through in those long days of searching for Brian Laundry. And really when we were looking on a day to day on, okay, how do we cover this? How do we cover this differently? But two, how do we cover this? That's making a service to our community that we're not just sitting here, um, regurgitating what law enforcement is telling us. And I think that was the challenge because yes, you get this in a press release, but how do we make it a point to show the stories of the people in our community that are hurting because of this? Lo and behold, the people that lived right in front of Brian Laundrie's parents who a long time. They had journalists outside of their home for weeks on end and their normalcy went out the window entirely. And two, just, uh, it was a lot. It was a lot. And thankfully, so we have great journalists here in our community. And even the journalists that came from beyond, um, everybody was really friendly and helpful. And we kind of supported each other. Um, but on some days, it was really interesting, Jim, I have to say, there were like, 12 reporters next to me and I was just like all right focus on what you're saying because it's also a distracting factor I will say that's that's takeaway and you did it and you did it well Daniela Hurtado thanks for taking time with us today for sure all right and that is the lead you can find upcoming episodes on the ABC7 app or wherever you find your podcast. The Lead is produced at the studios of ABC7 in Sarasota, Florida. If you have a comment or an idea for an episode, drop me a line at jim.dela at wwsb.tv. This is The Lead. Thanks for listening.